This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I will be speaking with Dr. Paul Cantonwine, author of The Never-Ending Challenge of Engineering, Admiral H.G. Rickover, in his own words, which is a practical and philosophical look at the principles used by engineers and leaders from the perspective of Admiral Hyman George Rickover, one of America's greatest engineers. So I'm really excited about digging into this topic and talking about Admiral Rickover with Paul in a few minutes here. But before we jump into the main segment, I just want to make a few quick announcements and then actually read a very short excerpt from Dr. Cantwine's book just to kind of lead us into the, to the discussion with him. So the first thing I want to just mention is we are engineeringcareercoach.com. We have a lot of resources on our website, including our free videos that you can get at engineeringcareercoach.com. You can actually put your experience level in or you'll be asked to do so once you subscribe. And that's because we've tailored the videos for different experience levels. So make sure you check that out. And the other thing is we had questions from a couple of listeners. Yes, we do do one-on-one coaching. And if you're interested in that, just go to ngengicoach.com. Chris and I both do coaching. You could schedule a one-on-one session. We can help you kind of get laser focused in your career. So it does go a little bit beyond the podcast, but thank you for asking that. And if you have questions, remember, you could always email me at anthony at engineeringcareercoach.com or chris at chris at engineeringcareercoach.com. All right, so let's move on here and get into the topic at hand for, for this episode. I'm going to read you an excerpt from Dr. Cantwine's book, The Never-Ending Challenge of Engineering, Admiral H.G. Rickover, in his own words. And that's going to lead us right into the discussion with Dr. Cantwine, where we're going to discuss these five specifically points of why Admiral Rickover is a model for engineers. Okay, so the excerpt goes as follows. I can think of no better way to raise engineering to the highest professional level than by practicing it in such a manner that every side effect is carefully considered and nothing is done which might conceivably damage fellow citizens, especially those as yet unborn. In fact, I should like to see an engineering oath expressing the sense of responsibility. It might well be something like the ephibic oath sworn by all young Athenians when, at the end of two years of preparation and service, they become full citizens. Each of these young men, called ephibi, promised solemnly to leave his city not less but better than he found it. A promise to leave his country not less but better than he found it would be a most appropriate beginning for an engineering career. And again, those are the words of Admiral H.G. Rickover, who we're going to talk about as we go into the main segment right now. All right, so now it's time for the main segment of our show where we're going to bring on Dr. Cantonwine to talk about his book. And let me just tell you a little bit about our guest here today. Dr. Paul Cantonwine was introduced to Admiral Rickover's engineering philosophy in 1999, 13 years after Admiral Rickover's death, when Paul joined the Bettis Atomic Power Laboratory, which is part of the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program that Admiral Rickover led for over 30 years. Prior to joining Bettis, Dr. Cantonwine received his BSM in Metallurgical Engineering from Purdue University and an MS and a PhD in material science and engineering from the University of Virginia. 
He spent seven years at Bettis working on fuel performance issues and developed expertise in the mechanical performance of zirconium alloys under both irradiation and post-irradiation conditions. He left Bettis in 2006 to join a commercial fuel vendor where he continues to work on fuel performance issues and is an internationally known expert on fuel channel performance in boiling water reactors. He resides in Wilmington, North Carolina with his wife and two children. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about your book, about Admiral Rickover. Some of the research that I've done leading up to today is, is very interesting, and I'm really excited about it. And I guess to get us going here, we're, I know we're going to focus on some specific points in, in a moment, but tell us a little bit, just introduce us a little bit to Admiral Rickover and tell us about him and also tell us why you decided to write this book. I started at, at Bettis Atomic Power Lab in 1999. I just finished my PhD. So I was coming out of an academic environment, uh, doing research and that sort of thing. And this was really not necessarily my first experience, you know, as an engineer in a, in a large organization, but really my first experience where I was really expected to make a, a significant contribution and to really make engineering decisions. And honestly, it was a culture shock, you know, coming from a, a research kind of environment where, you know, I was really the only one that I had to worry about to an organization where, you know, you were expected to make decisions. And immediately when I, when I got there, I kind of realized that I had a lot to learn about engineering. And the nuclear Navy program, even though this was 13 years after Admiral Rickover's death, was still extremely influenced by his philosophy of engineering. And honestly, I believe it is still uh, influenced by his philosophies and the, his attitudes towards engineering. So I joined this organization uh, and I really wanted to know a little bit about how to work in this organization. So that kind of led me to try to understand Admiral Rickover. So, you know, that was kind of my introduction to him. The one point is, is that you, you wrote it, you know, a book about him and his perspective without actually getting to talk to him. Which I think is a, definitely talks about his influence <laughs> and where you were. Yeah, one of the things that really impressed me about Admiral Rickover was what he did when he started the Navy nuclear program. I mean, he basically started from nothing in 1946, 1948. And in five years, they launched a nuclear power submarine. And that, you know, that's a very short period of time. And it required an unbelievable amount of technological development. And that accomplishment was one of the things that kind of drove me to, to really kind of delve into, uh, you know, what he thought and, and read, you know, not only books about him, there were not quite a number of books that were written about him, but also to read what he wrote. He actually wrote five books himself. Wow. So there was, you know, a lot of material he was a, a very intellectual engineer. And so, you know, that was kind of what impressed me. And the more I read, the more I tried to apply what I read, you know, in my work. That's pretty interesting. And just to give the audience a little bit more of a perspective, I'm going to just read here a couple sentences, Paul, from the description of the book, just to frame it out a little bit for them. Mm -hmm. 
The story of Admiral H.G. Rickover is thoroughly American one. The son of an immigrant tailor, Rickover rose from the poor working class west side of Chicago to become the father of nuclear power in the United States and one of America's greatest engineers. He was a man of innovation who, in the five years between 1948 and 1953, literally forged the power of the atom into a nuclear-powered steam engine within the confines of a submarine hull eventually leading to the 1954 launching of the USS Nautilus, the first nuclear-powered submarine, and the 1957 startup of the shipping port atomic power station, the first full-scale nuclear plant designed solely for commercial purposes. Although the idea to make useful power from the atom was not Rickover's, he made the idea a reality like no other. So that says a lot. I mean, listen, that's what engineers do. They take these ideas and they make them into a reality, and it sounds like that's exactly what Admiral Rickover did. So tell me this, Paul, you came in, like you said, you went from academia into industry and you had to start making these decisions. It was obvious that you felt the influence of Admiral Rickover on the, the culture there, I guess, at Bettis. Yes, exactly. And you decided to do some more research. You read his books, you read books about him. So there was a lot of books about him. He was obviously a, a very popular person in that realm, for sure. What made you decide that you were actually going to write something about him as well? You know, as you said, there there have been a lot of books that had been written about him. And uh, I, I actually got in contact with one of the authors of one of those books, which was maybe one of my favorite books. It's called The Rickover Effect, How One Man Made a Difference. And the author is Theodore Rockwell. He was a man who worked intimately with Rickover, very closely with Rickover for the first 15 years of the Navy nuclear program. And I'd written an article, kind of an internal article for our, our company about Rickover and his influence on the nuclear power industry. And so I contacted him. And, and it's through that relationship, actually, that I discovered literally all of Rickover's writings himself. And so I started reading his writings. And they're published in a, a number of different places. There were some books. Congress actually published an anthology of his speeches, hmm. but they were all scattered, really. Uh, and he wrote about a lot of different things. But of course, I was, I was kind of most attracted to his writings on technology. I'd read about, you know, engineering, number of influential books that for me were, were The Existential Pleasures of Engineering by Samuel Florman, mm -hmm. To Engineer is Human by Henry Petrosky. And I really felt that what Rickover had to say was equally on par with anything else that I've ever read about um, engineering. So I thought it would be really valuable for not only myself, but, but also for, for other engineers to, to read what he had to actually say about engineering, technology, and those sorts of things. That's interesting. So to that end, what we'd like to do for you on the episode today is Paul and I are going to kind of walk through basically five points which kind of frame out as why Admiral Rickover is really a model for engineers. And we'll walk through these one at a time and we'll try to break these down a little bit based on Paul's writing, his research. And we'll start, we'll jump right in here, Paul. Point number one was education and training. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I read all of these things about Rickover and kind of put them in these little buckets. And, you know, he was an adamant educator. He was not only an engineer, but he thought of himself as an educator, really, because what he had to do as a leader of an organization, he had to hire people and he had to educate them in, into his culture. You know, that was one of the, I think, actually one of the things that really made him a great leader was 
You know, he understood this, the importance of culture. But education was very important. And, and I see that as necessary for becoming an innovator. So education, Paul, give me an example. Like you just mean himself, he always kept his knowledge up. He prompted his employees to do the same. Or what? He saw, you know, education, he saw that sort of that a person needs to be broadly educated, not only competent in the technical sense, but also competent in, you know, the wider world. And so, you know, he was extremely well-read and he really encouraged that in, in the people that he led in his organization. So education is not just, you know, a formal education. He never saw that as a limit, you know, that the individual needed to really make, you know, a personal effort to, you know, be really well read. I think that's a great point. You know, we talk about that a lot on the podcast is that as an engineer, you can get locked into this idea of, you know, get a degree, get a master's degree, a lot of these black and white certifications and credentials, but it's important to broaden your horizons, read different books on personal development, professional development, leadership, talk to other people that have these skills, try to go to a conference where you can meet these kind of people and kind of push your limits a bit when it comes to education and training. And that sounds exactly like what Admiral Rickover did and what he tried to preach. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, one of his favorite topics actually was history. He was very well read in that area and wrote actually a, a history of the sinking of the Maine wow. in 1898 himself, you know, and about what actually caused that sinking. That was the event that caused the Spanish-American War. Maybe one way of putting it is that education is really preparing for the opportunity to innovate. So, you know, you really have to, to work at learning and honestly, you have to love it to be prepared for that opportunity that will come to act, to innovate. Let's transition to the next point, number two, on that note, which is leadership. I mean, I'm sure that there's quite a bit <laughs> that uh, Admiral Rickover's kind of stood out about leadership, but talk to us a little bit about his leadership abilities. Well, the way I kind of look at it is he was, in some sense, a a philosopher of organizations. He spent over 60 years in the U.S. Navy as active Navy. Wow. Yeah. The longest of anybody in, in American history. So he spent his lifetime in a very large organization, part of a large bureaucracy. He developed his leadership within that confines. I kind of see Rickover as actually having two different careers. His first career in sort of the, the typical Navy, you know, where the goal is to, is to become a, a ship captain. He wasn't really successful in that environment. And, you know, at some point he realized that and he went into what was called at that time engineering only or engineering duty. And so he was basically working desk jobs as an engineer. And that was where he, he ultimately became the leader that, that he did. And what I see as his greatness in leadership really was developing an organization that enabled engineers to work as professionals. Professionalism is if you're working as an independent contractor, you know, you kind of have that, you're sort of required to have that sense of professionalism. And part of that is, you know, integrity, competence, and those sorts of things, and independence. But in an organization, you know, being professional, meaning also independent, you know, there's some conflict there. 
And I think one of his part of his greatness really was developing an organization that required professionalism. Honestly, I see that one of the problems that we see in scandals today, you know, right now we've got the the Volkswagen scandal going on previously. Sure. It was, um, you know, the GM starter problem. And a few years ago, there was the Veterans Administration scandal that was going on where they were cheating or they were um, doctoring their wait times and those sorts of things. And that's an organization where they aren't encouraging professionalism. You know, I, I know they're, they're, they're trying to turn that around, but I see that as his, his hallmark, really, in, in leadership. All right. So we covered the first two points, education and training, and then we covered leadership, which kind of had in their organizational culture. We talked a lot about professionalism, which I think is really strong. So those are two points right off the bat that give you a lot to think about as an engineer. But let's keep pushing through here, Paul. There's a part of your book that talks about three American innovators. Tell me about those three people. These are actually biographical sketches of three American innovators, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and George Washington Carver. It's from his book called Eminent Americans, Namesakes of the Polaris Submarine Fleet. So the Polaris subs were all named out after famous Americans. I chose these biographical sketches because these three people had, were basically had impact on engineers, on technology. And they were really fascinating. He was an incredible writer, as I said, and he loved history. And these biographical sketches are, are a great read. And it was interesting to see what he kind of focused on because he only had a few pages. And what he focused on really was how did they become the innovators they were? You know, three very different people, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, George Washington Carver. But they had something in common, and that, and that something was that they loved to learn. And I really felt like when you read these biographical sketches, you can get a sense that, you know, Rick Over really could relate to that love of learning because that's what he kind of highlighted in their lives. The other thing that, that they all had sort of in common is that they had to overcome many obstacles to develop this knowledge or to learn. And Benjamin Franklin was very poor, you know, from a poor family. Thomas Edison, he had, uh, you know, severe deafness. And then George Washington Carver was born a slave and had to deal with all the prejudice that he had to deal with in his life. So, I mean, all really great stories and, and really inspiring stories just like Rickover's life, I think. So So basically, carrying on from his educational, the point that we talked about education and training, he had, this was part of his own education, was researching other successful inventors, professionals, and studying them, and, and I'm assuming applying their skills or applying what they did to what he tried to do, which I think is a great piece of advice for those of you listening. I mean, if you, you know, obviously, if you want to move up in your career, Look at those that people are successful. They could be obviously someone in your own company, but it could be someone bigger than that, like in your industry and read about them and learn about them. And a couple of tips from that might really help you to propel yourself potentially. Yes, exactly. All right, Paul. So let's move on to point number four, which is technology's impact on society. Talk to us about that. This section really, I would say, is the most philosophical in the book. He was clearly a practical man, 
But as I also said, you know, he's, he also was really an intellectual engineer. And so he wrote about the energy resources and our future from a philosophical perspective. And one of the things he did in this chapter and specifically, he compared our modern day energy consumptions to that in antiquity. And it was a really powerful comparison, a really powerful commentary on how technology really has impacted modern life and, and really benefited us. And although it's, it's really benefited, it's something that it's a, essentially a gift that we have to take care of and also pass on to the next generation. And specifically in the terms of energy, he was talking a lot about, uh, you might say he was kind of on the kind of an early advocate of the peak oil type of argument. But there's something to be said for saving th that resource for the future. And that was kind of his point. He talked about technology being humanistic, that it's really meant to benefit people. He talked about, uh, you know, that in a democratic society, that we have a, a right and an obligation to regulate technology to an extent so that we ensure that it does benefit people. And then um, he talked about the environmental impact. And one of the, I think the key takeaway, though, is that technology is never without risk. You know, I work in nuclear power, so, I, you know, this is something that I have to deal with all the time. But any technology that is generating energy, you know, there is risk there that you have to manage, you know. And so this, you know, perspective that he had. It's interesting. It's a, a philosophical engineer. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, and that was one of the things that was really surprising for me because in all the books that I read, you know, really what you hear about are, you know, his sort of personality quirks. He was, you know, he, he had some interesting quirks. Uh, he was not necessarily uh, well-liked by everyone. Uh, you know, he was really certainly a difficult customer. If you've ever had a dis difficult customer, I mean, Rickover was a difficult customer. You know, he was he was kind of a hard driver. It was kind of surprising to me, I guess. Yeah, that is really interesting. All right, let's jump into our last point here, number five, and then we'll after that we can go to our take action segment and close this out with some actionable advice. So, Paul, the last point we're going to cover here is a man's purpose in life. Talk to us about that section of the book a bit. You know, at the end of his life. He was being uh, invited to give graduation speech at colleges and those sorts of things. This was a speech, essentially, that he, he gave at a number of different occasions near the end of his life where he was being really introspective and trying to kind of pass on, you know, what he had learned. And he talked about sort of the normal things you might, you might talk about there. But, but, you know, kind of the takeaway for me was that, and this is a quote from the speech, the great end of life is not knowledge, but action. So he really felt that education was important, that we should be constantly learning, but it's not something that you just hold within yourself. It's something that you use to act with. And sort of the purpose of that action is really to benefit other people. So it was very inspirational kind of end to the book. You know, his life was in many ways, uh, really inspirational in what he did and sort of what he thought. 
Hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. So let me recap the five points of why Admiral Rickover is a model for engineers and some key points out of there that hopefully you can take is a big believer in education and training. He was an adamant educator. And I think you said, Paul, that he kind of, this education was preparation for innovation to happen, which was important for Admiral Rickover. Second point was leadership. His leadership was really his ability to, he taught about professionalism. He put people in a situation where they could learn and think about and exhibit professionalism, which in, in my opinion is a critical thing for engineers. Third point is the three American innovators that we talked about. And what was interesting was that Admiral Rickover took the time. I mean, someone of his, of his success took the time to continue to study people. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas and Edison and George Washington Carver, all with their own challenges, but their determination pushed them through. And I'm sure that he took that, those ideas and implemented into his own career. Point number four was technology's impact on society. We talked about Admiral Rickover being philosophical and thinking about the effects of the engineering that he was doing and the risks associated with it on the environment, which is a great, I mean, that's a well-rounded engineer. And then point number five, man's purpose in life, which is a great way to end things out because you could do all the, the learning, the training, the professionalism, you could study people you want, be philosophical about things, but at the end of the day, you've got to take action or all that stuff that you're doing is not really going to help you. So those are kind of the five points. What we're going to do now is Paul's going to stay on with me. We're going to jump into the Take Action Today segment of the show, and we'll just kind of distill this down into one or two pieces of advice that you can take and utilize in your engineering career. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. I still have Dr. Paul Cantonwine here with me. We talked a lot about Admiral Rick over here in today's episode. And what we like to do in this Take Action Today segment is kind of break the episode down into a couple of actionable items. And what we're going to do here today is, is actually give you another point from Admiral Rick over, but it kind of, I think it ties in a bit to the stuff we talked about. We talked about taking action. We've talked about being philosophical and thinking about things. Paul, there's one point that you want to talk about here that Admiral Rick over liked to use as a tool. What is that? That tool is writing. So I really think that uh, this was a tool that Admiral Rickover really used to develop professionalism within his organization. And one of my favorite quotes, and this is something that I think about all the time in my work, and this is what he had to say about writing. Important issues should be presented in writing. Nothing so sharpens the thought process as writing down one's arguments. Weaknesses overlooked in oral discussions become painfully obvious on the written page. So that concept, if you're making an important decision, you need to put it on paper. And you don't put it on a, just a slideshow. So this has happened to me time and time again when I have gone to the written page and written down you know, my thoughts. And it's just like what he said. It's, there's a big hole in my argument and it just becomes painfully obvious. And so then that kind of drives me back to rework. So one of the things that I actually encourage young engineers to do is that when you start a project, you start writing the report at the beginning of the project, not at the end. And when you do that, it sort of just leads you to ultimately what you need to do to complete the work. I think that's a tool, tool that Rickover used in developing nuclear technology and it's a tool that we can use today. 
I think that is a really powerful kind of take action today piece of advice because it is something that's pretty easy to, to use. I mean, you have to think about it, but putting your thoughts down on paper after a conversation or before you have to make a big decision so you can kind of work through it, read through it, digest it a bit. And I've heard advice before where like, you know, if you're upset about something and you write an email before you hit the send button, save it, come back to it an hour later or even the next morning and review it before you send it. And I think just like Paul said, or from Admiral Rickover's quote, is that something that might be blatantly obvious that shouldn't be said might have been written in there kind of just in the conversation or in the heat of the moment or whatever the case may be. So that's a great piece of advice just for framing things out and giving yourself a clear head about you when making these decisions. Paul, thanks so much for going through this stuff with us today. Where can the listeners find out about the book more? Or where can they go? So the book was published by the American Nuclear Society. So it's available on their website. It's actually in a hard copy and also an ebook. The other place that you can find it is, of course, on Amazon. So the hard copy and the ebook are both on Amazon as well. All right. A big thanks again to Paul for coming on with us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, any questions you might have about Admiral Rick over the book. You can go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Rick over. That's R-I-C-K-O-V-E-R, all lowercase. And you can access the show notes, which will contain a kind of a summary of the points that Paul and I discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we might have mentioned during the show, including, of course, Paul's book. And again, that's engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Rickover. And remember, if you are interested in the coaching, you can also check out www.engicoach.com to set up a session with Chris Rye to kind of get yourself launched into the new year. We would love the opportunity to help you out. So until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.